All right, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter number 37. All right, and we looked at uh, Jacob's family that was set up. Jacob loved Rachel. He met Laban, and he loved Rachel, and he wanted to marry her. He worked seven years to be able to marry her, and Laban tricked him. And that gave the start of kind of an awkward family, especially in today's day, but back then even. And uh, Jacob ended up marrying. He didn't realize it until the next morning. He ended up marrying Right. So we see the confusing family that was taking place. But in Genesis chapter 37, we start the story of Joseph. And the story of Joseph, we, we can see early on, there's some dreams that Joseph has. And we can see God working through his life. In Genesis chapter 37, verse number one, it says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Verse number three. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Let's pray. Amen. So the importance of the family that, that Jacob has. Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and then he was tricked into marrying the older sister, Leah. And along with that, and and. His father-in-law agreed to give him Rachel for another seven years. So within a week, uh, Jacob has two wives, and each wife was given a servant. And when you go through the whole family uh, with the children, the importance of children, you can see that Leah gives as, as children first, and then she gives over her servant, just as Rachel, who was unable to have children, gives over her servant. And Jacob ends up with four wives and essentially 12 sons. So you can see where this leaves a lot of room for conflict in the family. Now, Ray, the, in studying this, I, uh, I was thinking of Joseph as the youngest son of 11. But the more that I studied this and the more that I thought back on the family, Rachel was the only one that Jacob ever wanted to marry. Rachel was the one who had Jacob's heart. He was tricked into marrying Leah. I'd always thought, well, well, Jacob just gave favoritism to Joseph. But I think Jacob looked on Joseph not as the youngest son, but I think Jacob looked on Joseph as an elder son, as, the, as his firstborn son through his marriage with Rachel. And this set the stage for all kinds of conflict. I want you to look at verse number four. We see in, uh, well, verse number three, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. We know that Jacob became Israel after returning back to Bethel. He said, When his brethren saw that uh, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. 
And Jacob was from 86 to 99 years old at this time. And he, he loves Joseph. We, we know, you know, we love our children when we have them. But how much more do you love your grandchildren when you start to have them? <laughs> we get a hearty amen. I can't hardly keep her in Texas right now. But uh, our family's out in Georgia. But he loved him because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Jacob has set his son Joseph aside. He's, he's given him privilege, and he's, he's given him a coat of many colors, and it signifies to the rest of the family his status. And because of this, you can imagine Reuben, who is the oldest. He's the firstborn of Jacob's sons, but he's not considered as the firstborn. And these other sons see the privilege. The other two were born of servants that became Jacob's wives, and they, they weren't going to have preeminence in the family. And they see the, the love that Jacob gives toward Joseph, and there's jealousy and there's strife that builds up in the family. And we know that in Joseph's life, God has already begun to work in his life and to steer him toward what we know will be the end. We know that one day he'll be on the right hand of Pharaoh, and that he'll be there to save his people. Uh, from starvation. It says, verse number four, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Now there's something that happens when bitterness begins to take root. You can make a choice when that bitterness starts to come in. You can make a choice to put it aside or you can make it a choice to, to just dwell on it and to live with it. I remember, I remember when I was in the Navy, we would stand around and complain, and it seemed like I enjoyed the pastime. And you could just complain and complain until you make a monster out of somebody. Somebody who didn't do any more than say hello to you that morning. By the time of the afternoon after you'd get to talking, that person was a complete and total monster, and anything that they did was wrong. Anything that they said was against you. And I think that's the point that these brothers got to. They built up in that bitterness. It says in verse number five, so not only did his father hold him in high esteem, but he begins to receive dreams from God. Now, it doesn't mean that every dream that you get, you know, God doesn't necessarily work through dreams anymore. We have his word. We have the Bible. But here at this time, God was working through Joseph, and he begins to give him signs that he's going to be working in his life. You know, in, in ministering to people and talking to some of the guys in the jail and talking to, to other people through life, I've talked to several guys that were like, you know, I, I felt like I was called to preach at one time, or I feel like God called me to the mission field, or I feel like God called me for this. And that may be well that God has put a call on their life, but then circumstances will kind of steer them away from it. it, it we have free will. And if you don't stay close to the Lord, his plan can't be active. But when we see Joseph's life, we see that no matter what circumstance he was in, he stayed close to the Lord and he followed to the Lord. He, he kept his integrity all throughout the Bible. Whenever it talks about somebody, when it talks about King David, when it talks about Moses, when the Bible talks about Paul, when the Bible talks about any of the main characters, we see their failings. We see Elijah up under the juniper tree after being up on the mount and calling down the fire of God onto a sacrifice. 
We see Jonah running from God, going the exact opposite of the direction he told him. But we see Joseph maintaining his integrity throughout. We don't see a time when Joseph sinned. We don't see a time when Joseph gave up. He always followed the Lord no matter what was happening. And I think that's key to understand because some commentators will say after this dream that Joseph had a little bit of pride and he was telling him, one day I'm going to be over you. And the Bible doesn't tell us that. I think that Joseph in, in this circle, I think Joseph, when we'll get to it, but I think Joseph was just a little bit naive. Have you ever been a little bit naive and you told somebody something and you thought it was perfectly fine, but then they turned it around on you? I don't know about you. I've been there a time or two. But it says, and when his brethren saw, verse number four, that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, I hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And he's telling, and, and the dream is telling, and they understand that, that the dream is saying that they're all going to be bowing down to him. He may not even understand it, but he's telling them about the dream. All your sheaves bowed down. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And we see that bitterness taking more and more root. And he dreamed yet another dream, verse 9, and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, because his father and, and his father, but his father observed the same. So we have the stage set. We have the love of his father, and we have the envy and the hatred of his brother. They have a deep-seated hatred for him. Now, we know that the Bible has types of Christ, and Joseph is definitely one of the types of Christ that the Bible points to, and we see similarities in Christ's life. Verse number 12, and his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, here am I. So the father's about to send them out. Israel's about to send them out to, to check on his sons. Remember, he would return the evil reports. He would, he would tell Jacob, what they were doing. Just to get context on this, I remember being a little brother, and I remember looking up to my older brother, but I also remember telling on him. You know, I'm an only child, but we did have, I did have a brother for a little while, my stepbrother. I didn't grow up with him from birth, but for a time there, he lived with us, and I, I do remember telling on him. <laughs> but here, Joseph is willing. The father is about to send him out to check on his brothers. And he says, here am I. Basically, here am I, send me. 
And he has the coat of many colors as he goes. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. Verse 14, And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron and came to Shechem. Now Hebron means fellowship, and Shechem means strength. And if you remember your Bible, when you go back to Shechem, that was the place that his brothers had tricked the town of men. They had his, their sister, Dinah, had been defiled. And they told him, they, the man that did it, he, he wanted to marry her. He wanted to become part of the family. And they said, in order for that to happen, you'll all have to be circumcised. And when they did that, they were there in their weakness. And two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, went and paid them back for what they did to Dinah. They went and killed all the men of that city while they were still weak. And I told you, he, it was kind of a messed up family. But Simeon and Levi were the ones to do that. So they were supposed to be in Shechem feeding, the, feeding their flock. But they left from there. And he said, go to, uh, and he said to him, go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and with the flocks and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron and, and he came to Shechem and certain man found him and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him saying, what seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee where they feed their flocks. And the man said, they are departed hence for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. And Dothan means two wells. In a sense, when uh, just, just in a typical sense, when you look at names and you see Joseph leaving Hebron, there he was with the father, there he was in fellowship with the father. And you kind of get a picture, just a picture of Jesus Christ in eternity. You know, we were looking in Hebrews this morning in Sunday school. Jesus Christ, who was there in the beginning, and him talking to the father and him saying, the father saying, I need to send you down to check on your brothers. I need to send you down to the Jew. I need to send you down so that we can make a way for them to be saved. All of these sacrifices that they've been doing, they won't, they won't do it. I need to send you down to pay the penalty for their sin because it's only your sacrifice that will do it. And Jesus comes into his own. In John 7, 7, Jesus said, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works of it thereof are evil. And, you know, types aren't perfect, but you just kind of see the similarities. And a certain man, uh, and he goes to Dothan. He leaves the fellowship of the father. He goes to Shechem, but they leave there because of what they've done. And he said, I seek my brethren, verse 16. I pray thee where they feed their flocks. And the man said, they departed hence. For I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Now, before he even gets to them, they've had time in the field. 
And they've talked about Joseph. And I, I tell you, people can, people can build up monsters. In essence, they weren't rejecting Joseph. Joseph wasn't the one that lifted him up. Joseph wasn't the one that went out and put on a coat of many colors and put himself in the position of being loved by his father, of, of, of being the one to go out to his brothers. Y'all follow me on this? Joseph wasn't the one that put himself in this position. It was his father that did it. When we reject Christ, we reject the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Over in John 14, 6. He's the only way to heaven. And when people reject Jesus Christ, they're rejecting God. And I kind of saw this in a sense. The brothers, they weren't rejecting Joseph. They were taking it out on Joseph, but they were rejecting what Jacob's desires were. They were rejecting what Jacob had decided as far as Joseph being the firstborn. And they said one to another, let's see, verse 18, and when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. The thing that's on their mind is the dream that's coming. They've rejected him because of this dream. They hate him because of the dream, because he's going to be lifted up one day, because that's what they saw it as. In verse number eight, he said to him, shalt thou indeed reign over us or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Everything in them despised the fact that this youngest brother of theirs might reign over them one day. And it was enough for them to desire to kill him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Verse 20, Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And they sought to put the dream out. Before Jesus even got here, we, we saw it with Moses. We saw it with and with Pharaoh killing the firstborn, we see it with Jesus, where all of the children were killed, the firstborn were killed, so that Jesus couldn't be born, so that, so that Jesus couldn't come into this world. God has a way of overcoming that. Verse 21, and Reuben, he's the oldest, Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. You know, Reuben wants to take a stand here, but there's a lot of his brothers against him. All of his brothers are against him, but Reuben, he comes up with a plan and he says, well, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into the pit. There's a, a John Phillips he, he said half-hearted, half-hearted attempts can't, can't hold back full-scale wickedness. In other words, Reuben's trying to find a compromise. He's not standing up against him saying, no, we, this is our father's son. We need to respect our father. He's, he's kind of, he's still with him. Are, are you with me, guys? I mean, 
we, we don't have to kill him. We can just put him over in the pit and then maybe I can get him out later and I'll get him back to dad. And he just kind of holds back. We see a lot of that in the world today. We see a lot of that in compromised Christianity. It's like, well, we don't have to tell them about hell because that just scares people off. We don't have to tell people about the wrath of God because that, that just, well, you're just condemning everybody. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. But the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is Jesus Christ paying the penalty for our sin. And what's the use of paying the penalty for your sin if you don't understand what the penalty is? When you go over in Revelation chapter 20 and you see all the small and great standing before God, it's not something you celebrate. It's if the building's on fire, do you go knock on the doors and tell the people that are sleeping, hey, you need to wake up or else this place is going to burn down. You could make half-hearted attempts. It's like, well, I'll... I'll just kind of make a lot of noise in the hallway and then those that want to wake up, they'll wake up. Now, if you wake them up and they reject it and they say, no, we're going to stay here. Well, that's between them. There's no notch in my belt when someone gets saved. There's glory in heaven. There's no notch in your belt. There's no rewards. There's no trophies given out. But my goodness, if, if you believe your Bible wholeheartedly, wouldn't you give a wholehearted witness? Wouldn't you be honest with somebody about it out of love? So Reuben heard it, verse 21, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Verse 23, And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. They were rejecting the father's son. They were rejecting the authority that the father had given him. If you want to, you can turn to Luke chapter 20. Jesus gave a parable that's kind of similar. We see this pattern throughout. Jesus gave these parables to paint the picture of what the Father was doing. In Luke chapter 20, verse number 8, and Jesus uh, Jesus had asked the scribes and the Pharisees a question and it came to pass that on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders and spake unto him saying, tell us by what authority doest thou, thou these things? Because he was healing people, he was performing miracles. Or who is he that gave thee this authority? And he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? And I'm just giving you context here. Verse number five, and they reasoned with themselves, saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, why then believe you him not? But if and but and if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. And they answered that they could not tell whence it was. And Jesus said unto them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. And then he began to speak to the people this parable. 
A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to the husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season, he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent another servant and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. Now, this is a picture of all the prophets that God has sent. We, when this morning when we were in Sunday school, we were looking in Acts chapter number 7. He said, which of the prophets have not your father's stone? Because when God was sending the prophets, when he sent Jeremiah, they put him into a pit. When they, uh, other, other of the prophets were sawed in half, they were rejected by the people they were sent to testify the Lord to. And he said, and again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. And then verse 13, and this is where we're getting to. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. There's that jealousy, that, that the heir, heir of the master of the vineyard. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy the husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. But you just see these pictures and these types. The heir is rejected. The son is rejected. Jesus Christ was rejected and they've rejected Joseph, who was Rachel's son, who was the, the wife that Jacob had first wanted to marry. He just ended up with three other wives. <laughs> Rachel was the one his heart was for. And Joseph was his, was his firstborn son by marriage to Rachel. So they stripped him of his coat of many colors that was on him. That signified him as an heir. And they took him and cast him into a pit and the empty, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. The closest parallel I can come to is Jesus on the cross. I, I thirst. But uh, verse 25, and they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Jesus said, Judah Excuse me. Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? We have another parallel here. We have Judah, and we know of Judas that betrayed Jesus Christ. Now, Judas sold Jesus. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And here, Judah gets talked down to 20 pieces of silver for Joseph to sell him as a slave. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. If you want to find another parallel, we see the Jews turning him over to the Romans to be beat and to be crucified. They didn't want to do it themselves. They said, We can't do it ourselves. They sent him to the Romans to be beaten and to be crucified. Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver and they brought Joseph into Egypt. In verse 29, 
remember Reuben, half-heartedly. He, he didn't go full bore. He didn't say, Man, we, we don't need to kill him. We don't need to do anything to him. He didn't stand up to protect Joseph. He just kind of, like Pilate, just washed his hands and said, let's, let's put him in the pit. How many times did he say, you know, choose. Choose between Barabbas or Jesus. And they said, Jesus. And he said, what shall I do to him? He was taking it all out of his hands. They said, crucify him. He said he was innocent. They said his blood be on us and on our children. <coughs> so verse 27, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Verse 28, then there passed by Midianites merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? He knew how much his father loved Joseph. He was afraid to return to his father. But look what happens in verse 31, and they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of goats and dipped the coat in blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. So in all of this, it's, it's just short passages. But there's lengths of time to where... Reuben knows what they've done. He knows that he's been sold off. And they said, look, we'll cover it up. They took Joseph's coat that they'd stripped off of him, the symbol of his inheritance, and they dipped it in blood, goat's blood, just as Jacob had done so many years ago not dipping in blood, but he'd used the skin of a goat to fool his father when he was stealing the inheritance from his brother. When he had gone in there and made his hands hairy, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Ishmael. And all this came back to haunt Jacob in a way. And they sent the coat of many colors and brought it. And then verse 31, uh, Verse 32, this have we found, know, know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him, and Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. And thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him to Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and a captain of the guard. So we come to a transition in Joseph's life. I'd heard a story. I tried it on D.E. last night. It didn't work out too well. I'm going to try it with you guys. Because 
Joseph's being treated unfairly, to say the least, right? Joseph's life is taking a dark turn. You see God's hand on his life through the dreams. You see that God has a plan for him. You see that God's going to do something through him. And we can look back and we can read all of it and we can see over there in Egypt, we can see him feeding his brothers and, and, and saving Egypt because he was able to save food back for seven years because of all that he'd been through. But he's losing his life. As he's walking behind that caravan, I can't imagine they let him ride, but as he's walking behind that caravan and getting pulled, everything that he knew is gone. His brothers have rejected him, and he's gone. There's no getting away. There's no getting back to where he was. His whole life has taken a turn, and he's pushed off into this life. Now, the story I said, I even hesitate. But there was a king. It was time to marry his daughter off, and he called all the princes. And he gathered them all around a pond. And it was a deep pond. And he put his daughter on one side and the princes on the other. And he said, the man that can swim across his pond first is the man that will marry my daughter and receive the dowry that I've prepared for him. And the men said, well, that's easy. I've been swimming. I can swim fast. But then as he uncovered that pond and they could see those alligators squirming in there and wriggling and snapping at each other because they were hungry. They look down there and they see all of this action in the water and they all begin to back up. It's like there's no way. There's no way. I can make it across that. You know, I don't want to be married that bad. <laughs> There's a lot of men like that, right? But then suddenly one man, he leaps into the water and he swims and they all watch in shock as this guy, man, one alligator stops at him and he swims over to the side and another one and he swims over this way. He's stepping on one's head and he's, He's doing all he can. He gets across the other side and gets up on the side and he's standing by there by the king's daughter and he's looking back in the, that pond. And the king is just amazed and everybody else that's standing there is just amazed. And he looks back and he said, who pushed me? Why don't you push me? I know you did. You know, when you look back at your life, there's things that didn't go the way that you thought they should but you can look back and you can see God's hand giving you that push into those circumstances that you you wouldn't have put yourself into but when you look back at that pit of alligators that you survived you can see God's hand pushing you into it and guiding you to the other side and that's what we see in Joseph's life if you'll stand, please.